Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for joining us tonight in the Creepypasta Book Club, the podcast where we read, analyze, and discuss significant creepypastas, no sleeps, and web horror flash fiction. We are your hosts, Jonah. And Wednesday. And today, we finish Tales from the Gas Station with Bedside Manor. A sad announcement to our listeners before we begin. Jack Townsend, the man, is still going to hell. Jack is not at the gas station. He and Jerry are on vacation, stranded with a dead car on a disused dirt path in the middle of nowhere after a week-long holiday arranged by Jerry and company to give them both time to recover from the events of Volume 3, whatever they were. The car is hopeless, so they double back on foot to a strange gothic mansion just up the road. A decrepit old lady answers the door and allows them to use the phone. Jack zones out. He snaps back to himself, and a young woman in a Georgian gown is watching him. The mechanic won't make it out until tomorrow, according to Jerry, and they decide to sleep in the car, but before they can leave the house, a deadly, impassable storm breaks. The old woman, Maggie, gives them one condition for staying the night. They must act like authentic guests at the house, and stay in character, play along, and never let on that they got their room for free. In their room, Jerry finds two tuxedos and shoes that fit them both perfectly. They go down to dinner and meet the other guests, a couple, Bridget and Tobias, a mother and son, an old man in steampunk sunglasses, and the young woman and her sister. They notice the sulky kid pickpocketing Tobias, and Jerry goes to confront him, but Jack loses time again. The old man, Nathaniel, berates him for not socializing with the girl, who's staring at him again. The mother, Hope, intercepts him on his way back to the parlor and attempts to enlist him to look after her son, Wolfgang, and as he introduces himself, she addresses him by full name. It turns out she has his luggage, which was misplaced in her room by the house servants. Jack wants to get out of here and stumbles upon a strange optical illusion hallway that seems to go on forever. The girl, Claire, appears. Jack has an eerie sense that they know each other. The older sister, Lauren, comes out and fetches her. Claire departs, but advises Jack to follow the smoke. Lauren threatens him with a knife to stop talking to Claire. Jack finds Jerry, who confirms his suspicions. Someone is watching them and doesn't want them to leave, but he convinces Jack that they need to stay for the benefit of the other guests. Maggie herds them into the dining room, and Jerry makes a distraction while Jack sneaks off to get the phone to call for help. But he doesn't make it to the door before thunder cracks and the lights go out. When the lights come back on, everyone goes to investigate, and Maggie is dead in the other room. But, like, for real dead. Leaking. Jack slips on Maggie's blood and smashes her body. Everyone rushes over and panics, but Nathaniel gets them under control. Jerry tries to bargain for him and Jack to get out, until Tobias starts threatening them with a gun. Lauren and Claire report that the rest of the house is empty. No staff, no signs of life. And nobody here is actually a paying guest. They were all stranded here and forced to play along. Except seemingly Nathaniel, who has vanished. They call the cops and go back to their rooms. Jerry smuggled a stun gun in his pants, which they grab. Lauren appears through the secret passage between their rooms, and they plan an escape. Jack and Claire share an episode as someone else dies. Hope is lying at the bottom of the stairs, throat slit. Jack beams Tobias with the stun gun, and Tobias goes for his pistol, but it's missing. There's a tussle for the stun gun, and Bridget and Wolfgang are gone, but so is Maggie's body. The bookcase swings open, and Bridget calls out from inside. Tobias rushes in, followed by Jerry, and then the rest. The trap closes. Inside the passage is a cool library, and Bridget is strapped down with some kind of time bomb, and hey, Nathaniel is here too. Lauren stabs Nathaniel brutally, and he doesn't react. Tobias accidentally sets off the bomb, killing Tobias, Bridget, and Jerry. 
Jack, Lauren, and Claire stumble out, barely alive, and confront Wolfgang in the foyer, with Tobias's pickpocketed gun in his waistband. Jack convinces him to come with him to the car while the girls wait inside. The problem is that these aren't the same woods they came through during the day. Wolfgang monologues for a while about killing and practice and whatever, not realizing that they've walked themselves impossibly back up to the driveway of Bedside Manor. Jack takes off into the trees, and they play gun tag in the forest, until hellhounds descend and eat the child alive. Jack gets lost on the way back to his house, and a hellhound pounces on him too, tearing out his throat, and Jerry screams for Tobias not to touch the bomb, and he's back in the dining room, alive. The door chimes, and the detective finally arrives. The detective is another game piece, and he's here to shepherd the players through the game, whether they like it or not. Jerry cracks the shits and sets the detective on fire. Jack charges to Jerry's defense and dies badly, wicking up again at the table. They barricade the door to stop the detective from coming inside. Wolfgang kills his mom again. Tobias has a theory that turns out to be dumb as hell, and he drowns in the kitchen. They ask Bridget some questions and discover that Tobias works for Lisa, an institution for paranormal investigation and application, and Bridget is a spy investigating him. Tobias had called for help earlier, but nobody has arrived. Jack goes to the basement and dials the sheriff's department, but it's also an obvious mock-up, because they don't know that Sheriff O'Brien is a woman. The woman on the phone yells at him to stop being an asshole and just play the game, and gives him a few clues. But they die again! The polar bear got them! This game is fucking rigged. Wolfgang kills Hope again. The detective has given up on them for being such assholes. They're also starving. Like Emma, their hunger doesn't reset. They head back to Jack and Jerry's room for trail mix, retrieve the stun gun, and Wolfgang charges Jack with an axe, misses. Jack tases and traps him with a handful of food sitting inches away from his face while he starves and bleeds out. They go to Hope's room to look for clues, and Jack gets yanked under the bed and finds himself buried alive. He wakes up. Wolfgang charges him. Jerry dispatches him with a right hook. He headlocks Wolfgang, and Hope immediately shoots him in the head, and then is killed by her son again. Tobias starts trying to explain the mechanics of the house and their respawning, giving Wolfgang enough time to set the house on fire and kill Tobias and Bridget. Jack, Claire, and Lauren escape into the endless hallway. Doors and doors and hallways forever. The doors behind them vanish, the house rearranging to force a confrontation. Wolfgang executes the girls, but runs out of bullets. In the infinite hallway, Jack follows the smoke. He finds the parlor and dies in a fiery inferno. Wake up. Wolfgang lunges. Lauren stops him. Hopes out of bullets, Wolfgang used them all. Jack steps outside to talk to the detective. He's figured out the mystery of Bedside Manor. It's a simulation. And yes, that's true, but that's also not the point. They suck at this game so bad. Just solve the mystery, morons. This is a symbiosis test by some kind of all-powerful beings who want to take over humanity, and they are not allowed to fail. They reset again to a much earlier point in the timeline, and Jack is the only person with his memories. He bumbles his way through the same conversations he's already had earlier, grabs Hope's gun, and gets into a fight for it with Wolfgang. Panicking as he tries to explain their Jumanji situation, he shoots Nathaniel, but it doesn't work. He is dead. Everyone's memories seem to be edited because they're all paying customers. Jack somehow gets both guns and shoots Tobias when he attacks Jerry. Jerry tries to convince him that he's just having an episode, but Jack doesn't believe him. He's not acting right. That's not Jerry. Jack tests him and shoots him when he fails, and the detective peels Jerry's face off to reveal himself underneath. Jack has built up a tolerance to fake memories, it seems. The house can't get inside his head. The detective shakes up the story and throws Jack a weird, horny vampire fantasy. That doesn't work. Jack clocks that this isn't real. 
New story. Jack is in an ambulance after a massive crash that killed Jerry. Eh. Next. Jack is a mad king in a battle against the undead hordes, but Jack's not built for excitement and high fantasy and whatever. He needs something more his speed. Claire catches him at his typewriter. He's a writer who's been writing this whole thing, and he's married to Claire with twins. But none of this feels right. For one thing, Jack doesn't fuck. The world washes away into a black void. This is a personal playground to do with as he wishes. He can be anyone and do anything. Why won't he just play along? Jack asks to go back to the fantasy one. He kills himself jumping out a window to try and jolt his body out of the dream. Jack wakes up. Everyone is at the table. There are alien bug things attached to everyone's heads. Jack pulls his off and yanks the feeding tube out of his stomach. Jerry's hair is longer and he has a beard. They've been here for weeks. Everyone else has been here much longer. And when he goes to Claire, her body is emaciated and cold. She sends him a message through her mind. Get out. Don't try to save them. He has a conversation with the psychic projection sitting at the head of the table. Nobody has ever woken up before Jack. It makes a compromise with him. He can take one person and leave, but that's not good enough. Jack needs to stop the game permanently. He yanks the tube out of Jerry's throat and wakes him up, and they set the thing on fire together. Bugs burst from the walls and attack, and they manage to get Tobias's gun and startle them into a retreat before Jerry's fallen lighter sets the dining room and the fatty, dry nest on fire. They escape with Claire and Lauren, and their real memories begin to return. So what do we think? Between recording, I went back to listen to Finding Vanessa, thinking of the <laughs> stuff that I thought was going to be this one would be in that one, because what I thought was in this one wasn't in it. Where is any of that stuff? <laughs> you were you were telling me that there's other content that you remember seeing before about, like, Jack kills a bunch of people and, like, talks to a bunch of severed heads or something. Yeah, okay. And there's a, there's a plot where he, like, thinks he's killed Jerry and is, like, real out of whack about it. And I think that is also in Volume 3. Like, I think those are the events that have got him so shaken up that he needed a vacation. Yeah, like, that makes sense. Like, and, like, the O'Brien stuff where, like, they did talk about the deed and stuff. That must have happened before the other one yeah that that might have been volume two material did i read these books you might have done i don't know i don't know okay i know i read beds i like i listened to bedside manor before but i didn't recall like anything that happened in bedside manor and i have these (laughs) distinct memories of these scenes without knowing where they came from the fact that all of this stuff is, like, cordoned off into different stories with different levels of accessibility is, like, makes things a little difficult to when you're trying to yeah. analyze the story as a whole, because it's, like... All over the place. A little maze. I found out from reading YouTube comments after I was done with Bedside Manor. I went down to the bottom because I, I listened to it instead of reading it, and, and people were talking about the fact that Jack's FFI of Fatal Familial Insomnia, mm-hmm. he doesn't actually have that. He made that up. He has, like, a totally different sleep disorder where he basically takes, like, semi-constant micro-naps. And, and he's, he's always a little bit asleep. He made up Fatal Familial Insomnia in order to cope with his, like, deteriorating mental state or whatever. <laughs> I like he just lies. <laughs> In a way, I kind of like the retcon with the FFI, because, like, it was always a little background problem that I had with 
the whole, like the whole series, that Jack never really acted the way that you would expect from someone with a terminal illness. And even though he kept talking like his disease was like imminently going to kill him, he didn't particularly act like it. So that was either some like really clever underwriting from Townsend that he'd always planned to reveal, or he realized that he didn't want his character to be a terminal case because it alters the way the audience views the stakes and the way that Jack would be behaving. And he hadn't been like writing it that way. I really like the story that's like Jack coming to terms with like reality and accepting himself as like a person. I like the story. It feels like the evolution of like him leaning more towards like righty stuff and like mm-hmm. some places felt like a little heavy handed, but it was nice <laughs> to have the hands anyway, you know? It's it's frustrating to have these things treated as so totally separate to the point where yeah. like he is not willing to give what feels like necessary information from the books in yeah. this stuff. Because if you don't know that Jack does not actually have Fatal Familial Insomnia anymore, then he doesn't have it. He never had it. The mm-hmm. whole situation is really confusing. Like, <laughs> I, I, I kept sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop about, like, okay, what's going on with his medicine? Who died? Who died? I assumed that O'Brien died because he was like, all of our friends died and I'm so fucked up about it. Who died if O'Brien's still alive? <laughs> They're no longer friends is the thing. A cab. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. He gets He gets a point for that one. So that's why I was saying what was really nauseating to me, because it's sort of like, the way it's presented is like, oh, Jerry's like, dead dead, and he's like, making up the scenario where he's talking to, he's like, forcing the fantasy where he's talking to the heads, like, that's not really happening, and it's like, mm-hmm. never really happening, and I think that's, that's where he starts talking about that it's not the thing he says it is, but I don't think it's given a name in that section. He like goes to a doctor at some point in volume three and is given this like medication and that's I think the way that it comes up but I don't know because I haven't read the books like okay I may at some point in the future read the books yeah but it's gonna be, be like during the mid-season break like yeah. I'm not <laughs> okay so let's, well, let's enter the scenario where I read the books but have no memory of reading the books <laughs> Yes, I'm, I'm with you in the scenario. That, that, that's just the scenario. What happened there? <laughs> okay, when you say <laughs> scenario, you mean that's what happened in real life. That's yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I did not enjoy Bedside Manor. Partly, like, there was the length. It was longer than it needed to be. It's, it's so fucking long. It was way longer than it needed to be. I like the looping Running stuff. into a similar kind of problem that we have in earlier stuff, like in Christmas, mm-hmm. where he sort of repeats himself a little too mm-hmm. much. Yeah. I didn't have any moments really in Halloween where I was like, this should not be here at all. Like, this, this, this is like a line or an idea that doesn't belong here. I had a couple moments in here where I was like, cut that. That should yeah. be, that should not be here. One of the big ones, oh my god, the like one of the worst joke duds <laughs> that we have had yeah. is the fucking the jam. Joke. Yeah, it's so and it goes long. on for so fucking long, and it's... he keeps bringing it back. Dude, it, it was not funny. It was not even funny the first time, and it does not become funnier with time. Like one of those things where it's like where it's like almost an anti joke at first, and because yeah. you keep referencing it, no. It doesn't work. 
That was bad, dude. Look, one of the worst duds in the entire, like, including the really bad stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know that um, vine where it's like the hydraulic press and the girl goes, no, 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 yeah. that one. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I swag, not swag. <laughs> the jam fit was not swag. Not swag. It was not swag at all. <laughs> it felt like this one was intended for bookage and then it got like, freed into reddit and i'm not saying that makes that joke less bad by thinking of book one you're like you're like tied to it now you're like sitting there you you're it you have willingly walked into the zone of like these characters in their universe versus like getting it in the wild the thing about a book is that it has like an editor yeah that too like a pretty (laughs) like an editor Cause like, cause he does the sort of like extra meta bit where oh he's Jack Townsend the writer and he's got a wife and kids and like and and oh Bedside Manor was all just a story that he was writing and but and and his publisher thinks it doesn't have legs. I am choosing to believe that this is based partly on a real life scenario where his editor was like, I don't think we can publish this dude. This goes on the website. <laughs> oh, I really like that. I want that to be true. It's true in my heart. Because Bedside Manor isn't bad. No, it's just like... It has enough problems. Like, it does feel like a step down from Halloween, which feels so much tighter than this. Yeah, it feels like, okay, it's like a step down in that regard, but it's also, like, more literary than Halloween was. So it yeah, has... yeah. It's more of an attempt at, like, literary. Cause, like, yeah. It has that's some interesting mean. structure, and it's trying to do, like, it really wants to have meta-commentary. It really wants yeah. to be about what a meta-story is and what it looks like. But I feel like the way that it handles it is also, like, pretty stupid. <laughs> but, like, because it's more literary, the ending is also really kind of, like, whack. Yeah. The, the very ending is a huge problem. The very ending is extremely bad. Oh, it took me so much self-control not to text you about, like, hey, the ending blows. <laughs> like, like them getting out and getting away, awesome. What the yeah. fuck is the Lauren thing about? That's nothing. Jack, that was nothing. <laughs> what? What is that? <laughs> this is, it was just sequel bait, right? Like, you're like, oh, you're intrigued now. But like, it's not even sequel bait. It's literally just like being tied to the structure of mischief. this kind of, of 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 story where it's like, mm, yeah. oh, at the very ending, you have to have like a spooky twist with crazy implications. Like in Halloween, we have the raccoon with the aura. Christmas, we have the finger in the box from Spencer. Oh, that's who's still true. not back. Where like. Where's Spencer? Where's Spencer? Mr. Townsend, all will be forgiven if Spencer comes back. (laughs) We have this authority. The Lauren, like, there has been nothing. It it is just cheap. It's really stupid. There's nothing to indicate that Lauren is, like... Anything. A threat or evil or dangerous for, like... Hey, they were in, like, a simulation where... Like their memories were being mm-hmm. altered, so so they were paired up as sisters because everybody had to have like a pair. Yeah. Why is it like a big scary deal at the very <sighs> end that that Lauren is yeah. not actually her sister? Stupid, dumbass. Two things. 
one, the other sort of like lead on endings, they tie back into the story like almost immediately and you also have like stuff that happens before it ties them to that. Like yeah. Jack Jack was yeah. already getting mysterious boxes. There were already raccoons. Who's this chick? Yeah. What I kind of was hoping was that Claire was going to be the mysterious woman from the other parts, because I don't remember who she is. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I also saw something in some YouTube comments, I think, about that, where the unnamed woman that Jack is, like, crazy pining over for all time Mm -hmm. is, like, the daughter of the gas station owners. Like, that's who I guess that is referring to. That's... (laughs) So, like, yeah, so so Jack's cutie mark would be a gas station pump of some sort. <laughs> God, the way we were so right about that. Oh, my God. When you brought up the pipe bomb, because what I remember from Bedside Manor was pipe bomb. What I remember from whatever I read, like, where, yeah, where Jerry blows up the compound, bomb. Like, yeah. so that sent me somewhere. It must be volume three adjacent because that's why Jared lives with Jack now, right? Yeah. Because he was like, he was living in the empty compound for three years, I guess, which is silly. Yeah. He could have moved in with Jack at any time and Jack would have let him, frankly. Because they're in love, is the thing. (laughs) Oh my god, the way that they were in love. That was my favorite part about this, was like the way that they were in love. Yeah, they were so in love and they were... They're on a boyfriend road trip in their boyfriend <laughs> apartment. There's this part where he's like, guess what number I'm thinking of? And he's like, the number he was thinking of was 69. 69. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're so in love. Like, that is the most worthwhile part of the entire yeah. series is getting to see... The relationship relationship like, between the two of them. Genuinely. Where it starts out with, like, you know, this Marlboro guy is a creep, and he comes out of the gas station to be weird at me. He's such a pathetic weirdo. Uh, he works here now. I hope he gets fucking fired. I hope he explodes and dies. And then suddenly it's like, <laughs> this guy's my best friend. I would die for him, and he would die for me. This is the closest relationship that I will ever have in my life. Also, he lives with me now. Like... <laughs> It's really good. He's like, get out of my school core about it. <laughs> the, like, one bed. He does the whole one bed thing. Yeah, the, the one bed joke is, yeah. like, it's another one of those things where it's, it, like, like the Dean Supernatural stuff that we talked about before. Yeah. There's only so many times that you can have people like microaggress Jack and Jerry and assume that they're a gay couple or whatever or like be homophobic to Jack before they're just like being homophobic to someone who's like (laughs) being coded like like that's what it is if you do this enough you are coding that character through the way that other people perceive them exactly but also normal adults make me gasp out loud with laughter (laughs) Like, we were saying, like, oh, if he has insomnia, like, he doesn't need the bed, so that's, like, the other implication, but he doesn't have insomnia. He does need the bed. Yeah, he doesn't actually have insomnia. He didn't. <laughs> There's layers to this. <laughs> it's it's worth appealing Jack back. Jack Townsend, we are receiving your subliminal messages that Jack and Jerry do sleep together. <laughs> we understand Not sexually, but, like, because yeah. he's Jack's Bambi, but, like... Yeah, but, like, Jerry respects that. They cuddle so good. 
<laughs> we were giving swag, not swag ratings before. One thing that is definitely um, swag in this story. Mm-hmm. Bisexual Jerry confirmed. We yeah. did it, boys. We got there. Yes. <laughs> he wants to have a threesome so bad in the entire thing. That's been sort of a light tiptoe implication, I feel like, for his character for a while. But in this one, if he's he's just like, wow, that man and that woman are gorgeous and I would fuck both of them. He basically says that with his mouth. I love that. I, that's like ideal crystal clear confirmation without like having to be like, I'm wearing my bi pride flag pin. I am bisexual <laughs> face directly to the camera. Like... yeah it's very brief and it just sort of confirms things that we already already had (laughs) i thought the looping was exhausting but kind of like the looping (laughs) process anytime a story has looping but i really like the vampire looping thing it was i didn't (laughs) want to be there any longer than i needed to be but the fact that the vampire ladies were all boobed up and like all over jack and jack was just like well hey and then jerry comes in like muscular and sweaty and holding a crossbow and doing all these (laughs) macho things that jack's like (laughs) uber describing because it's his dream fantasy space (laughs) jack loves being saved by jerry so much that he gets his feelings legit hurt when he thinks that jerry didn't come rescue him and jerry and like we get that jerry does it's amazing like yeah jerry runs into traffic for jack he goes outside and immediately gets struck by lightning and dies like like jerry knows better So, so the fact that he jerry like knows he's going to get killed, right? Like, there's, like... Yeah! (laughs) Like, like, like Jerry knows, and he's having fun knowing that he's going to die and he can just do this over again. He's having fun, and, like, he knows that this isn't permanent and it's not serious to save Jack, but, like, he still does it. Because, like, that's Jack. It's emotionally important. It's it's his guy. (laughs) Oh, it's just, like, the beats of that. Like, yeah, he died two seconds ago. And, like... It's delivered not from Jerry or not from, like, the exposition prose or whatever, but, to, like, from another character, and that's it was really nice. It was, like, a really nice yeah. back and forth. Which, that's the thing that also makes the, like, forced choice between Jerry and Claire at the end feel stupid, extra yeah. fucking stupid. Because, like, it might have worked a little more if... Claire had any kind of character or personality Mm -hmm. at all so that Jack could have any kind of chemistry with her and if she wasn't just like a lethargic pixie dream girl she's just nothing she has no personality she she just is there she's there to be like the girl like she's just quiet and she has no agency or desire to act on anything. She barely talks. She's just this, like, natural soulmate for Jack. But we don't learn anything about her, really, or see her do anything that would explain why they're suddenly, like, goo-goo for each other. It feels like cheating. It feels like compet bullshit, where, like, all you really need to be is a girl that the guy can, like, project romance onto. And, like, we kept getting them being like, we have to save everyone. Since when? <laughs> I mean, okay, I like that as a Jerry character trait, specifically oh, yeah. Jerry. Because, like, that's that's where it's coming from. Like, Jack doesn't care either way. 
Which is good. That, like, that, that's, that's good yeah. for him because he's a little freak. I wish that was just, like, coaxed out more. Like, I like that as sort of an evolution because, like, that seems like the natural end point of Jerry's character. Oh, and definitely. his, like, ethos and stuff. Where, like, early on, he is this, you know chaotic neutral like goblin Ooh, i'm so fucking crazy and wild i'll do anything i don't care who gets hurt but like he's also such a utilitarian that he would just like kill himself because he thinks that it would create karmic balance in the universe like he, yeah <laughs> that kind of person especially with some time to like get over the, like wanting to kill himself stuff yeah is going to be a person that values human life mm-hmm pretty highly so the idea of him saying like these people are a bunch of innocents they don't know what we're what they're getting into we've dealt with a bunch of crazy shit of course we have an obligation to help them that's yeah, awesome that's nice i yeah. love seeing that development for him i think we can wave it as development but we can also wave away maybe like character inconsistencies as the character like develops in the stuff he's doing as sort of mm-hmm. like an offset of grief of being like survivor guilt and left behind like that's settling down in him like well, what's his morality code now, sort of thing. Yeah, I can imagine it being sort of a response to the stuff that they have gone through and and Jerry starting to take the perspective of, I need to help people whenever I possibly can because I'm going to continue to be in these weird situations where people yeah, are nice. going to get hurt, possibly by my action or inaction. Yeah, it was just, just like, in the moment, it was like... Like, do you? I think you can just, like, leave. It's probably fine. <laughs> it felt kind of like the way you might have, like, a really loose hook into a story, like a, a campaign of some sort, and you have to, like, yeah. well, we're, play- we're, we're playing the <laughs> game, so you have to be inside the game, which was a kind of neat commentary within it, I guess, because they are playing a game, sort of. So, yeah. like, like, we have to be here because this is where the hook <laughs> is. Yeah, like, the the worst tabletop experience in the world is when you have players who just, like, refuse to buy into the hook and Mm -hmm. keep, like, trying to find ways to get around the hook or something. That feels like what the plot is, basically. Dude, you're here to play the game that the DM set up for you. Yeah. Like, don't be an asshole. (laughs) And that kind of feels like what the plot is of this thing from, like, the perspective of, like, the worms. There's a lot to get into about that because, like, this story is about meta and genre awareness. He makes the, the, the comment early on about the idea of putting the cart before the horse, putting your call to action before the inciting incident. Mm-hmm. They refuse to play the game well before they have rationale for rejecting the game, right? Like, they start- It was just Jack's, like, misgiving. They all, without even listening to Jack, they all don't want to play the game. They all attack the detective immediately. Oh, that's true. Instead of, when they are offered the, the idea of, like, hey, if you play this game and you win, we will let you go. And rather than the sort of pacing out of, like... Oh. Because the implication, right, is that the game is unwinnable because the worms are never going to let them go. Instead yeah. of it being a sequence of them being like, okay, well, we will try to play the game, but the game is bullshit. It's really oh. obviously rigged and unwinnable. There's yeah. a fucking polar bear now, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes there's hellhounds. Sometimes you just get struck by lightning for no reason. Sometimes the bomb just blows up. 
But we never have them do the game straight, so we never know if that's true or not, I guess. It's it's true because we know later on that the worms are not going to let them go no matter yeah. what. There is no way to win the game. Yeah. And, and they are just sort of like extracting emotional resource from them by putting them in this torture simulation over and over. Mm-hmm. But like, because that rejection of the game of saying like, no, fuck you, we're not gonna do, we're, like, they never try to actually solve the mystery, really, except, like, briefly off-screen when they try to get the key or or, or whatever before the polar bear gets mm-hmm. them. But even before then, they were, re- like, their efforts are focused on how they can break the game, like, 90% of the time. They never engage with the actual mystery of Bedside Manor. Their only focus is on, like, How do we build instruments to circumvent the game? How do we outsmart the game? So from the very start, they were already refusing to play the game. Yeah. And had to be yelled at by, by, (laughs) you know, the GM. Like, come on, you guys. Just, like, don't, just don't be an asshole. Just play the game. Yeah. Here, here, go get the key in the attic and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Earlier, he, he talks about the inciting incident coming after the call to action. Mm Mm-hmm. And then does it? Do you know that you have done that? I don't know. Because, like, it's it's possible, it's obviously possible to do a story in with that structure. There's, like, a structural issue. I get the stuff that he's doing and where it was going, but just sort of, like, feels a little, like, yes and and not necessarily... <laughs> oh, the, the and, and the other thing that I was going to say is that, like, Taking this totally out of the context of, like, whatever the story is meant to be, mm-hmm. from, even from Jerry's perspective, from what he thinks is going on in this situation, that is not a comment that is, like, uh, valid or makes sense, because you are not just characters in, like, if you are in an interactive theater performance thing, yes, you are yeah. playing a character, but yeah. you are also playing Yourself. the audience, because yeah. things have been scripted that you are not part of and you don't know you are player and audience mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's what being a player essentially is is a mixture of actor and audience right yeah. yes inherently so like the purpose of the game is to entertain you mm-hmm. so when you're talking about story structure you should also still be thinking of it as though you are the audience, the reader, mm-hmm. of a traditional mystery. In which case, yes, mm-hmm. you should be looking for clues before the mystery starts. Because that's how reading works. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like especially in mysteries, you are often given clues before the murder happens. That's the point. That's the structure of a mystery. Mm-hmm. Gentle, like nudging that Jack characterizes as, like, sinister, but it's clearly like, hey, like, play this mystery game. I guess it's like, (laughs) the twist of the worms feels neat, I suppose, but I don't know. I don't know. It just doesn't feel, like, threaded in a way that doesn't it feels like. I like that they feel like a living creature within the universe we've created, and also there's a lot of bug themes up in this series. (laughs) How'd you feel about the brain parasites in this one? Um, I was really disappointed that it turned out to just be the fucking turn left bug. Mm. Like, <laughs> like, I was really excited when we got, like, the big, oh, the gothic mansion. Yeah. And the stuff about, like. I, like, 
You were hoping it was, like, played straight? Right at the beginning. When I hear gothic mansion, like, trying to, like, antebellum oh, yeah. stuff, that's, that's what I mean. There was a lot that you could do with the setting and the ideas that it brings. And, like, we were talking about, like, regional horror kind of stuff. Yeah. This is another, like, like getting back into, like, classic southern gothic kind of stuff was the direction that I initially thought this was going. It diverts really early on. The stuff that you can deal with with that, especially since he, like, wants to kind of deal with ideas a little more. Like, he gestures at, mm-hmm. you know, oh, the, the you know, this was a plantation and blah 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 and like what does that mean about the situation that we're in it meant nothing for the situation i wanted yeah it meant nothing it was literally just window dressing it was so disappointing i wanted ghosts and shit i wanted your classic nasty southern gothic but it just turns out that it's just alien bugs again it sucks yeah like yeah that's the main problem i think like if the if these concepts were like separated, like if we got the straight up like plantation cyclical like murder mystery house ghost stuff, and then we got like we're at a different place. Oh, it's gonna be the same thing. Oh, it's worms this time. You know, <laughs> uh, like too much. I think maybe too much, and there's not enough room to develop either of the concepts because like there's no room to breathe. He's he's just using the southern gothic aesthetic as like a bait and switch so that it can just be like a simulation so that it can be like parasitic worms and stuff like okay even if it was actually some kind of like crazy government experiment thing i think that i would vibe with that a little more than just yeah, it being fun. like it's worms because <laughs> it feels so separate from any of the ideas that you could possibly Present. explore with this yeah, yeah. It's like, what did the worms mean in this case? Hey, Jack, if you want to get into meta text, if you want to get into critical analysis and meta narrative, what purpose in the story does having alien bugs serve? When you have all of these elements juxtaposed against one another, what does this create? What 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 point does this have? Is the point that you wanted to tell these stories? If so, that's not good enough. If you want to be wagging your dick around mm-hmm. about meta text. Sorry, I'm getting I'm getting surprisingly no. heated actually. <laughs> no, it's good. No, you you just read it is the thing too. Yeah, yeah. I did like the first hour of it a bit ago and then like the last three oh. hours of it last night, just like all <laughs> You're like getting it all out now. It's good for you. <laughs> Yeah, and you, you read it, like, last week or something. Yeah. <laughs> I've been keeping you waiting for a while. God, I it's really okay. didn't want to do this because it's so long. <laughs> it's it's genuinely, like, 30 minutes too long. Which, like, is a problem with anything recent anymore. Like, this isn't terribly recent. It's, like, sort of recent. But, like, the general state of horror things I'm sitting there, even if it's a really good thing I'm involved, I'm like, damn, this should have ended, like, 20 minutes ago. And then I, like, go somewhere <laughs> else with it. Like, even if the yeah. ending rocks, it's like, there's just, too, like, come on. Edit this. Not nothing's gonna be sped up or anything. It's just, like, the conciseness of moments matter in the end as much as it matters at the start. I see so many people lately bitching about the mere concept of word efficiency. Oh my god. And that's where this gets us. Like, yeah. 
it's like the co the combo right now in like the current zeitgeist of media is also like word efficiency is bad, but also things need to be super literal. It's like we are <laughs> we're entering a dire age of like new Americana realism. <laughs> Oh, it's just, it's terminal. Not swag. It's really fucking stupid. Okay, like, the idea of killing your darlings, right? Mm-hmm. What that means is that, like, even ideas that you are really attached to sometimes just do not belong. If they do not actually serve the story, they do not belong, and they need to be cut or changed. Because your story should never be detracting from your story. Yeah, it's like people aren't seeing these things as like entire projects or entire like things, but everything is just sort of like its own little like, these are my OCs or whatever, and so like every little bit of this matters. Like it might matter to you, but it's making the overall thing less good. Yeah, it's, it is the problem with IP-forward mm. storytelling, where the more content that you have, the better. Because all that matters is that there is content Endless consistently content. for people to be able to consume. That said, I did check out the gas station blog. I wasn't super interested, at, but then, like, I was all soft, <laughs> and like, now, now we're, like, they're cute. A lot of this is cute, I think. And I was on there... <laughs> And there's, like, a whole, like, there's an Inktober challenge, and there's, like, a choose-your-own-adventure, and there's an employee, employee, like, application quiz that was really cute. <laughs> like, so you have this blog where you can put all these, like, cute moments and then leave, like, the main body stories, like, more dense. And I guess with this, it's sort of, like, trying to find in between, because it is, like, a personal blog space, and it is, like, an over-expanding universe that doesn't necessarily serve an individual story. And I think that that's, like, a problem a lot of people have because a lot of things that are out there right now are, like, universe IP stuff, like SCP or whatever, what have you, you know? The way right now, if you are, like, a small artist or whatever... The best thing you can do is do an IP project. Yeah, the best way to get noticed enough to make money on what you do is to make characters with designs that people are really into like things about the character don't really matter if your character has like a like a visual aesthetic or quirky way of speaking or whatever mm -hmm. that people get really attached to your thing will take off yeah and they'll just project whatever they want whatever they need onto it like to the detriment of a lot of artists because like a lot of times people don't go in like Sometimes people don't go in thinking like that's what they're going to do, even though a lot of people do. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> there's just like a yeah. there's just like a formula mill right now that people like fandom about. Yeah, like like the thing that has happened with like Welcome Home. Right? Yeah, this is not like a thing from what I can tell that this person was like intending. Like I'm you know, designing these characters so that they will blow up. It's just that, like, the way that the characters were designed, people got really attached to these yeah. designs and this sort of core concept, and that's what made this thing blow up. Yeah, I think it's really cute, the project. But, like... Yeah. I, I haven't really looked into it, because I don't like puppets. <laughs> yeah, I know you don't like puppets. I checked it out, and then I checked out, like, how people are reacting to it, and people have just been beastly in their 
uh, manners, yeah. like, but, like, in the way we're talking about. People don't know how to fucking interact with, like, small artists anymore. Yeah. Because they expect everybody to be Disney. Because that's yeah. all that anybody, like, consumes anymore. Like, and, 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 and that's what it is. They're just looking for things to consume. They are just, like, ravenous animals that want to swallow a piece of art whole. That, and then they want to, like, stand on top of other people's art in, like, a really, like, wearing mean shoes about it. Like, they want to make fan art. They want to make fan content. They want to turn out as many horny fan fictions as possible before the bubble bursts instead of being, like, a part of it, a part of the community. Yeah, the, like, clout ecosystem that it creates where it's like, oh, this thing is taking off. I'm going to cash in on this trend so that my name will show up like at the top of the Instagram feed or or whatever. And I'll get a bunch of likes and then uh, more people will follow me so that I can eventually make my own money on on my own content so that I can, you know, be the party coffin eventually. It's like, yeah, it's like parasitical. And it's like, on one hand, it's really great for the artists that so many people have like, done this because it's exposure tm but on the other hand it's a part of like everything we're saying it's like so nightmine releases one then like whatever nightmare Masterclass 2000 whoever releases one and then <laughs> nexpo releases one i don't know if you did or not but like then, then someone else does it with a lot of people then someone else does it then someone else does it then someone does their makeup to it just endless <laughs> And they're not in it to be in it. Like, some of them might think it's actually cool, but, like, you know, they're there because it makes yeah. the views. Yeah, it, it is just, like, attention economy stuff. Yeah. It's, it really sucks. <laughs> it does suck. And, and it especially sucks when, like, the characters are fun to read about. Yeah. To, to wrap it back to the gas station, something, the gas station obviously had this problem, but it feels like it, like, petered out a little bit so now there's only like like a small dedicated community to it which is cool and nice from the numbers from what it looks like it's not like yeah it doesn't it didn't fall off but it's not really the same sort of like people have moved on with what kind of creepy creepypastas yeah. they're like chasing after the glory glory of it's not at its peak anymore and I think also just because the artist just, like, got less nasty as a person. Yeah. I think it's also kind of to his detriment in terms of, like, appealing to the Reddit crowd. <laughs> okay. We were talking, like, we were talking about how cool it was that we get, like, by Jerry and, like, Ace Jack in, like, the same story. There's just a straight-up comment basically confirming that multiple comments about how Jack doesn't fuck and, like, is not interested and is just, like, uncomfortable with the idea of, like, women with their tits out, like, (laughs) trying to hang off of him. He's like, oh, this is weird. I don't like this. (laughs) And and then someone comes out and says, like, yeah, you are asexual, my my friend. (laughs) Yeah, like, the girl who was, like, in his mind with her psychic powers. Jack is a five foot two psychotic twink with one leg, while asexual. I wrote cluster A representation. Thinking about the stuff that he was writing in like 2017, you know, Death at the Gas Station and the unbelievable like embarrassment of that. Going from that in like 2018 to this in 2020 is pretty nice. Even though the story is weaker than Halloween, the fact that it feels so distant from like that reddit core style was really nice intriguing 
it doesn't make up for like it being a weaker story, but it, <laughs> it, it feels something different, I guess. It feels like a different kind of growth. Yeah. <laughs> or like, I like, cause, cause the thing about Halloween, like Halloween was good the way that it was because it was not ambitious, mm. you know, it was, um. it was sort of. It's, it's like right at the speed that he needed it to be to be able to write a tight story. Mm-hmm. I kind of respect the ambition of doing this. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that it it's paid hit, off. Yeah. But like that's that's the thing about like in in like second language pedagogy, when you are attempting to build on your second language knowledge, and I suppose this is also true of, you know, I- improving your skills in your first language, mm-hmm. but, like, mm-hmm. for, like, I-, I have, like, a TESOL certificate program, mm-hmm. so, like, that that's the perspective that I come at this from. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the things that you're advised to do is, like, when you read, when you select books, right, when you select reading material in your target language, you're advised to choose reading material where when you read it, you still don't know every word on every page, you want to occasionally be running into unfamiliar words or, like, phrases that you can puzzle out through context or, like, stop and look up, rather than material where, like, you can read it fluently front to back. My professors would say, like, one to three unfamiliar words per page is the sweet spot. If it is too easy, you will not be learning things. You need to still have stumbling points. Mm Mm-hmm. Not too many stumbling points where you have to consistently be looking up grammar points and stuff. Halloween feels like, with the levels that he had taken up to that point, Mm -hmm. he sort of, like, cruised through because he was not setting, like, a challenge for himself. Mm -hmm. Mm. Bitside Manor feels like a, a step too far for him to have managed. And it's like, that's just the thing that's gonna happen, you know? Like I've said before, we've said, I think, like, he feels like someone who's, like, interested in writing. And he's and he's interested in... Exploration and stuff. Developing as a writer, which is yeah. what this is. This is a project where he's attempting to grow that skill set by approaching these sort of, like, bigger ideas about writing it's good to fail sometimes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> sorry to say that you failed, Mr. Townsend, but like, <laughs> failure is good, especially if you're getting paid yeah. s- such huge amounts of money for your failure. <laughs> like, oh, manifesting. <laughs> we all be so lucky. One of the biggest disappointments, though, and, and one of the things that I can't excuse as much with, like, well, this is like a step. This is like, practice essentially this Mm -hmm. is like him doing the development is Mm -hmm. like he still has that you know problem about women for all that he has grown about like wanting to to respectfully portray lgbt characters and wanting to respectfully portray like ideas about race and racism you know wanting to develop his his craft and 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 become like a more ambitious writer Mm-hmm. He's still really bad at writing women. <laughs> yeah, I think there's that, and it's also sort of like the way he handles Wolfgang. We focus a really long time on Wolfgang having a problem, and that feels really strange when your characters themselves are like similar yeah. body count and like, 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 huh? Like a serial killer isn't like a species. It isn't like a 
D&D class, you can <laughs> roll in, like, their acts, and, like, it's, it was just really weird to focus <laughs> on so long, but I will say that Wolfgang's the most enjoyable character who's not the main two, because, like, unlike Halloween, I don't, none of the characters were, like, evolved enough to care about them outside of, like, the maybe, like, the yeah. fun NPCs. I, like, I really enjoyed the NPCs as, like, the characters they were briefly as the monster of the week for the things. <laughs> yeah. But, like, Wolfgang was fun, and I liked Jackson's extreme level of violence that, like, I would want, like, was, like, uh, aware that he did this, but no one was gonna say anything. Because it was, like, kind of, like, justified even though it was fucked up. I really liked that scene. <laughs> Jack's hot girl sewing moment. <laughs> it feels like Wolfgang is a discount Spencer. Yeah, we're in well, that thought... he is doing the same shit as the main characters, but we're supposed to treat this one person as yeah irredeemably evil and empty inside and whatever because like. I don't know, the other characters are, like, troubled and they feel bad about it or whatever. Like, girl, yeah, you're still doing it. You're still consistently doing the shit that you're doing. Why yeah. are we supposed to give excuses for some characters and not others? Yeah. Like, Jack, I guess you can half-ass make excuses for because, for the most part, the stuff that we've read, like, he he doesn't try to kill people or, like, do too much, like, fucked up stuff, but Jerry will straight up torture someone like he'll just plug people without blinking because he's capable of justifying any actions he does as moral like that's a big part of his character and like not even you know have have that be something that is like being dealt with in the story that's another you know a problem yeah that was the one that stood out to me the most i guess just because like you know when you like do noise canceling and like when you're re- when I'm reading a creepy pasta, like or like engaging in the horror community at large, when there's like a a woman character writing problem, and just sort of like yeah, well I'm <laughs> engaging in a horror story online. I figure there's going to be, you know. <laughs> uh. And a similar thing with mental problems stories. It's like yeah. yes, I did expect you to not portray this respectfully. <laughs> My expectations does not make it okay. <laughs> yeah. We're on a curved reading. Which is the other problem with the Wolfgang stuff is true crime podcaster perspective on people who do kills. When your characters are killers, like, it just, like, reduces the interesting, interesting aspects of these people. Like, because, mm. like, we can never, like, empathize with various things because one people are killing because they need to be like super badass paranormal good guys or whatever and one person's killing because they're like a designated serial killer in the story i guess <laughs> hey how does he become a prolific serial killer if he doesn't leave the bug table i think the whole like this is like a like a symbiotic experiment to test i think that was a lie? I think uh, that's how we're supposed to interpret it. Oh, that, that doesn't make sense. It was hard, I think. <laughs> I think I must have really invested in that being cooler and more fun. I am not totally sure, because there is contradictory, straight-up contradictory information between what the detective tells Jack and what the worms actually are, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, yes, they are a very, like, 
psychically powerful species and they have been like feeding off of human emotions for quite a while but they're just like worms so they were probably like yeah, lying. But they are just like worms it's funny that worms are lying <laughs> they're they're clearly not as with the queen in halloween mm-hmm. it's not as much of a problem because it's fun that she's just like a dumb bug yeah like she's she's a very intelligent bug who's been around for a very long time but she is like um dumb in the way that bugs are dumb yeah like <laughs> so in, the, in this though we're given that worms are conniving worms can plot and plan but they're also like like the jerry worm like the jerry impersonator worm is yeah. like canon stupid i don't know yeah. really like yeah really strange i think i think what's happening here is like it doesn't suspend disbelief strong enough unlike the queen who like Jackson and like messes with injects her own thoughts over stuff and like takes over a host Mm -hmm. we're in a space that requires a lot of like plotting and planning and stuff and they're not using memories though so it requires a lot of conscious thought on their behalf only to be like oh actually they they mess up all the time and it's like oh well if no one's ever woken up but they mess up all the time because they're worms it's like that doesn't feel like real believable i guess i have trouble buying into all of this like (laughs) malarkey (laughs) they are trying to convince jack that they are so wildly all-powerful that he shouldn't even try to resist them i guess it's all it's also like in halloween we have a gas station to defend and protect. They're no longer there in the gas station. We're in, like, the different yeah. space. And it's not, like, we, we, you talked earlier, like, it's not drawing on the space. The only yeah. thing they keep safe is their bodies, and they're not concerned with keeping their bodies safe until the end, really, to escape. So we don't yeah. really have a driving force here, other than, like, well, we don't want to be sucked dry by worms, I guess, which is, like, important <laughs> in life. But it lacks the stakes as well, I think. So it's frivolous. Yeah, that's the other thing, is that, like, the stakes are way lower. And even though we do end the story with a body count, that body count comes from primarily, like, people who were already dead. Yeah, which was kind of a cool... Like, if you had developed the characters to where we cared about them more, and, like, yeah, over a longer period of time... Like, if they weren't, if they weren't all intentionally despicable people, except the one that we're supposed to like. Yeah. Which is the, the same problem he, that he's had earlier. He does, he does this, like, telegraphing that I think is really interesting and unique to his, like, voice, where the thing that's going to be relevant happens a little, just not, not, like, very far in advance, not, like, the start of the story, but, like, just, like, a little bit before we get there, and I think it's really cool. It's also really telling. I don't... We know that Lauren is a fake Lauren because he's suddenly talking about Lauren a lot. But before Jack catches up with what Claire is trying to say, we know as a reader that Lauren's going to be something. Something's up with Lauren because he's finally drawing attention to Lauren after like this space of just talking about like the plot and his inner monologue and stuff. And this happens with like everything that's going to be like a hot spot in the story. It happens when there's going to be a plot twist sort of thing going on. The idea of playing a game wrong or like interacting with a text Mm -hmm. in a way that it is not meant to be interacted with, I think is something else that the story 
kind of wants to touch, mm-hmm. but like I just personally disagree with the way that it is like framed and handled and mm-hmm. stuff, I guess. I think also maybe not anywhere anywhere close to what you're saying is what I'm going to say. Jack's, like, condition where he's, like, micro-hallucinating all the time, there's something about that to what he's reading and the situations he finds himself in, and I don't know if this comes from the books that I don't remember reading, but, like, we we get that Jack is reading uh, Agatha Christie novels, and, like, he mentions that he's read every Lovecraft or whatever, and then he's in a situation where it's a murder mystery period piece sort of thing with worms. And the last time we get that he reads stuff, he's reading a detective novel, and he's basically in, like, uh, a detective mystery pulp thing sort of thing, you know? And I think there's something to that, like, narratively. Yeah, like, the type of book that he is reading at the time, or the type of, like, story that he's most engaged with. Like, when he's talking about video gamey kind of terms in the narrative and we get the feeling that he's kind of gotten into video games lately his life is like a video game trying hard to beat the stage (sighs) like yeah his his perception of the world as like the main character is being shaped by the the media that he's putting into his brain and on the one hand you know, you can interpret that, I guess, as, like, that this is all just a bunch of, like, made-up stuff that he, his brain is coming up with because he's dreaming all the time. Yeah, I feel, the the dream sequences felt nicer here, too. Or there is some kind of cosmic significance to the fact that, like, you know, is he shaping reality unintentionally because of his, like, crazy auras and stuff. The only reason that we would ever suspect that he is not making this up is that Jerry has taken over the blog before. Yeah. Unless Jack intentionally is lying and was pretending to be (gasps) Jerry that one time in order to lend credibility to his stories. And I don't know why he would do that unless this is just a story about a guy lying to you, which would really suck. Like, that is the dumbest interpretation of it. One that would really (laughs) suck, but we know he is a guy who likes to lie for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the most boring interpretation of the story is that Jack Townsend, the character, is literally just Jack Townsend, the author. A guy who's That's, just making yeah. up a story to tell us. In between that, in be- let, me, <laughs> let, me weave you a, let me weave you a fan fiction. <laughs> Jack, Jack is lying about this and hopes that people will come look for the rural town. They do that. He kills them, disposes of their body because he's like a prolific serial killer in the region and like the whole thing with Wolfgang and Spencer are like his guilty consciousness within the thing and Jerry is like (laughs) and Jerry is like his regular person Sana who has like a cool backstory Uh, I mean you did say fan fiction so I told you I told you it was going to weave you a fan fiction That was that was not um, getting into what I was I was going to okay. say necessarily, but I think that is like a little bit of the of the conversation about what 
gas station wants to do mm. with meta because like it's always tried to go for meta elements and it is pretty much never stuck them yeah in, in my opinion because it either handles them too lightly or in this case too heavily right yeah he'll find it i believe in him like before we know about the worms mm-hmm. right based on the information that we as the reader have they are playing the game wrong and mm-hmm. until we have the confirmation that the game is unwinnable they are playing the game wrong and then they get mad that the game is not willing or able to respond beyond the boundaries that it sets for them and is as far as they are aware like made a certain way that is by definition what it means to engage with a story or or like a media like in bad faith the only way you can take it any other way is if you know why their attempts are correct despite the evidence in front of them it's cheating. It's just not satisfying. Being genre aware without being in on it isn't satisfying. And isn't always necessary. Yeah, he's he's essentially metagaming his own story. Yeah. And it's like, well, you already know what's going on. You're writing it. <laughs> Until we have a good reason to say th- th- this is about them literally not playing a game either because it is rigged or or because the the game master is you know putting them in real danger mm-hmm. in some way etc cetera, etc cetera. all we have to go on based on the way that this is being talked about is like the meta implications of this conversation that he has with the detective right and mm-hmm. especially because of the thing that Jerry brings up earlier when mm-hmm. they're talking about oh i hate meta for that moment that he's having this conversation with the detective it becomes like, Bedside Manor becomes a story about it being good to refuse to engage with media on the level that it presents itself, right? Yeah. Because, like, this, the, the mystery of Bedside Manor, at the baseline, that is the story that is being presented, and the players in this story consistently refuse to engage with that story and tear it apart, not for any particular reason, simply out of the belief that this is what they are supposed to do and how they are supposed to engage with this story. And they are validated in that by having the story be essentially a a function of evil, Mm -hmm. right? The idea that, like, narratives only exist to deceive you in some kind of malicious way. Every week on Discourse Land. (laughs) The real thing that you need to be doing is tearing the thing apart to look for the plot holes because it's, the real mystery is that it was a simulation all along. Yeah. It's a really you were talking earlier about like behaviors on the tabletop table that are disagreeable. Yeah. And this is the yeah. thing that people do a lot and it's like I'm yeah. I'm personally not trying to trick you. I'm trying to facilitate the <laughs> story. And it's really hard to like tell people that they're doing this thing because it feels like in my brain it's just so hard to wrap my mind around what the other person is thinking is going on that it's like hard to be like hey don't do that this isn't rewarding not that things have to be rewarding necessarily it's just not i don't know it's just not productive (laughs) things don't have to be productive either but you know when you are having like a collaborative experience 
in like a tabletop setting or like when you think about the media the stories Mm -hmm. that you are engaging with as collaborative experiences between you and the creator Mm -hmm. in my experience as a tabletop player I want the DM to be having fun so badly that is one of my high priorities is like I want the DM to get to tell their story because I know how important that is Mm -hmm. to, to, to be able to like get your story across like I want to do what I can to facilitate the story that you're telling while also facilitating my my character's thing that they are doing. Yeah. I am, I am not a player who's going to try to the game, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not a character who's going to try to outsmart, outwit, and, like, get around the DM. I want to bring creative and fun approaches to solving problems that the DM has brought to the table. Sometimes, depending on the character I'm playing, I may create problems of my own. That's different. But, like, that's that's, that's different. not a matter of trying to spite the DM. The, like, the, the, that's a weird sentiment that went around a while ago. I see less of it now, the idea that, like, you should be fucking with your DM, and that's the best way to play yeah, a tabletop game. Like, it's not. Be nice to your DM. They put so much work into this. I saw this some sort of, like, revenge for, like, every player's past where the DM was, like, mini-godding on the border or whatever, and it's like, well, <laughs> you don't need to avenge your ancestors. It's fine. Just, just come to the game, please. <laughs> like, like, the thing is that whoever is smartest in the room, whether you are smarter than the game or not, doesn't matter. Yeah. What matters is, like what the actual story is mm-hmm. and how your fellow players feel and how this, your DM feels and, like, what you're doing in this collaborative space. This makes me wonder if some this is a response to something. A lot of his things we're talking- a lot of his <laughs> things feel like commentaries and we're like, yeah, I understand where this is coming from because this was this sort of period online. Yeah. I get this. But this has, like, but I don't know what it's responding to, I guess. Because it does feel like yeah. it's responding to something, but I'm not sure what. It it does feel much less finger on the pulse yeah. than the other ones do. Oh no! It, 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 it feels it feels closer to like a personal beef. <laughs> <laughs> he is bringing up these like meta ideas and like our this, evolution this, like, ethos about the way that you're supposed to engage with narratives. So, for apropos of nothing, this is him leaving like the wilds of the internet, going to isolation to type the little volumes up, and then he comes back and then like. He, he engages with, like, reviews and, like, comments and, like, responses to, like, a book now. So now his, like, worldview has now been, like, changed because it's also, like, a book. So these are, like, vibes you get when you have, like, an audience that are reading who are also people who have come from these, like, formy spaces and their lack of, like, media literacy. <laughs> You, you 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 mentioned isolation. This was also written oh, during fuck. COVID. You're right. Which okay, I think it's really cool to have done like a sort of like pandemic stir crazy themey thing, without it being legitimately a pandemic. Like there's worms, and that gives a like, sort of kind of like a a disease kind of coding sort of thing, right? Like a Resident Evil style. But like mm-hmm. it's cool that he didn't go literal because a lot of people went literal with their COVID vent stories, <laughs> like bend round. <laughs> it also made me think of, and like this is not a timely 
like movie reference for it to be pulling from either but you know jack standing up against the worms and stuff made me think of world's end mm. the idea of being told we can put you in like an eternal paradise we can be responsible for you and will keep you alive you don't have to go back out into the world you can have a fantasy world your perfect life whatever as long as you just like sit down and behave and him saying like um, no, fuck you. It, 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 I don't know. It's a like, nice, no, I, I agree. thing that happens in a lot of stories, yeah. but, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. End is one of the examples that I think of where it, where it is explicitly about, like, the most fucked up kind of guy that you can get to be. Yeah. Which is also, like, kind of the thing that Jack is. I like, <laughs> there was a lot of nice characterization for Jack just in the context of the story. Like, we were talking a bit before you we were recording that, like, Jack's ideal paradise is, like, at the gas station with Jerry. Yeah. Like, like that is the reason why the worms cannot access memories. Like, from, like, an out-of-game perspective, the worms are not allowed to use memories. Because if they could, they would know too much. And, like, they would be too perfect. They would just know that, like, the way that they could trick Jack is, like, give him the comfort of that thing that he associates with reality, mm-hmm. which is being at the gas station and, and hanging out with Jerry all day. Like, oh, it's really good. It's really, it's like nice and subtle, I think, in a story that's not prioritizing subtlety. <laughs> They're trying to trap Jack in a fantasy, but it doesn't work because he doesn't want any of that. Look, the thing that he wants is his real life. I think it's a really sweet way to go with the character. Jack's like really good characterization, I think, in this one. It's just, it's nice. Yeah. We've talked a lot about how you don't need to give your monsters stats. stats yeah. Right? I think, I feel like the worms kind of need a little more clear stats. Be- like, he gives them stats, but they're extremely unclear. Yeah, as we were talking, I realized the kind of problem I think I have with the worms is that with the setup with a mayfly queen, she has like a biology that makes sense, right? And, like, the monsters, yeah. we sort of, like, get it. Like, they need to go... The goal of the monsters is pretty clear. They have to go do X to get Y, that kind of jazz. But the worms, it's mm-hmm. unclear why they need to make an elaborate murder mystery if they can't use memories. <laughs> and if they... They need to create a lot of emotions and, like, keep people sitting there. But I think there are less convoluted ways to have done that. So <laughs> why is worms so dead set and facilitating a murder mystery if all they need is emotional stuff and people just sit there, you know, and come into a building. Like, it's it seems like a lot of work and not a lot of, like, do they just, like, enjoy doing it? Do they also get bored? Do they, do they have a worm union and we're all like, hey guys, we're doing this for a couple millennia? Like, what? And also how the worms function in their brains is confusing because like the worms all seem to like they're not like a hive mind they're just like psychic and they each like they're all acting like they (laughs) each perform a role in every npc that shows up in this mind space there's only like three of them there's there's maximum like nine during the one where they all have to gang up on jack i like I want the worms blog now. I want to know what they're, what they're doing. 
This feels a little <laughs> this feels a little more SCP-y in like the sense of like SCP and the stuff that's like community core of SCP where it's not necessarily like the stuff that you're thinking of because it's like the the stuff with like the involved doctors and like that kind of lore <laughs> where stuff is sort of like less serious. It feels a little like that to the story. It feels like all the discussions of meta and and storytelling, you know, different like tropes and, and genre awareness and stuff like that, it feels like what he's going for is that the worms are like n- not literal, like much less literal than other sort of antagonists in Gas Station are. I do like that. I don't dislike that. Except that they are framed as extremely literal. They yeah. are very literal creatures. No, okay, yeah. It feels... Like, they have stats. It feels like it's a misplaced in this story, but I don't dislike worms that are representing something not literal. <laughs> I think it's also... Yeah. It also... Like, it doesn't land. There's something missing. But the fact that the worms are representing something like metaphorical yeah, yeah yeah in the space where they're not at the gas station is kind of neat like there are different rules because they're not where they normally are <laughs> and i don't think that's the intention but it's something i enjoy like where the rules of like like the universe is like different and like different spots and the reality of the gas station comes more prominently because you like know what these things do in a sort of like a nature setting if it was going to be this, it, it just needed to be more complete than that, I guess. You need to lean into it if you're doing something that is, like, metaphorical. You need to show your work a little more. Yeah, so, like, maybe it's, like, his first attempt at doing something sort of, like... Like, like very non-literal kind of antagonist implication. Because this is supposed to be his story about stories. Yeah. I appreciate attempts. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like I said, there's just like not enough room for these ideas to develop, but that there were like a lot of ideas is a nice sort of change of pace. It makes the thing <laughs> overall weaker, but it's kind of cool to, you know, someone's like yeah. experimenting and exploring these sort of things. I wish that the landing had been stuck. It, it is disappointing that the landing was not stuck. The thing is, like... <laughs> The psychic testing thing was so much more interesting as a topic. So it's kind of disappointment that was just worm-wise. Especially because, like, if you're going to get into the idea of, like, broken institutions and stuff through, like, the, the southern gothic sort of classic yeah. stuff. That wasn't just me wanting it to be psychic stuff. That was me being like, ah, oh, there we go. We got we got things going on. And I, I, I read and listen and watch things, and those are synapses firing in my brain. But it, but it wasn't. So I guess it's kind of fun. Yeah. I was bamboozled. Misled, tricked. But, like, just being tricked by a story is nothing. Yes, yeah, nothing. You can trick someone by doing anything. You can just contradict yourself at any time. You can make it good, Jack. <laughs> I like... Uh, it's it's really nice when people figure out they can lie in their stories, I guess. And people <laughs> always are really excited to show that off. So there's... <laughs> you just like you can lie you just find a lie in your story you should have a reason to lie yeah like do just lie because it's like oh i've discovered that i can tell mistruths in my fiction <laughs> mind freak <laughs> it's a big step when you're in these spaces i have to imagine though <laughs> to compare to the other two stories that we read this season 
which you know is, is a, a real unfair matchup for for gas station. I think like it can be done. You can learn to do this, but like it, there has to be coherence to it. When you have a theme and like something that that is going to like build a very strong theme, and you just sort of like throw it away. That feels bad mm-hmm. to read. Mm-hmm. That feels like you made a mistake. Oh, and then it's like, then right after we get like the whole like looping story stuff that's really long. So it feels punishing <laughs> on top of it. Like if the loops were shorter, like I can understand the first loop being long because you have to establish, yeah. you, you have to draw it out for a while so people are surprised when the loop happens. Obviously. But like... Yeah. I think like if the loops were shorter, and I think if they were structured differently, if, if they started out wanting to play the yeah. game at first, and then becoming disillusioned with it, I think that would be paced better. Yeah, or if it was just sort of like Jack being like, I have lots of misgivings, I'm gonna go on with it because I realized Jerry needs this tsunami, which was a nice thing that happens later, but that could have happened earlier to give us sort of like that <laughs> clean loop that would make the story feel less, like, driven singularly by this, like, underlying idea of the the meta-commentary. Yeah. Or, like, if you want to have the Claire and Jerry choice at the end, then create some kind of conflict between Jack and Jerry. Yeah. Jack, he, he has a fundamental misgiving about the situation. He wants to go off and do things on his own. And, like, after... Asking Jerry, like, don't leave me alone, you have to take care of me, blah, blah, blah. Oh, see? And then he, he wants to do something independently because he doesn't care about these people. Yeah. He just wants to, like, get to the bottom of this and get out of here. Jerry's kind of enjoying himself. Jack doesn't want to play. Yeah. You could have that be like a, like, create a conflict so we- that that choice makes a little more sense. Yeah, we are willing. And you wouldn't even have to write Claire very much more. We are willing to give up <laughs> the beautiful, passionate romance happening within the story for the story to land better. And that's a sacrifice we are willing to make. That is a sacrifice that we are actively making. (laughs) We are begging you to make this sacrifice, even though it hurts us. It's that one post that's like, uh, I had an argument that I wasn't very invested in, so I drew myself dying on the cross, and that somehow didn't help (laughs) Ameliorate situation, something like that. It's us, Jack Townsend. Yeah, (laughs) this is a good post. All time. It's like it's simultaneously like begrudgingly invested and like really looking forward to it at the same time. Like I was up on the blog being like human and all, and cooing and and like, oh, give me ten more minutes. I'm doing this quiz thing. Like. Yeah, I, I guess that's our sort of overall final thoughts on Gas Station, is that it's stupid and we have problems with it, but we're also, like, a little invested in it on, like, an emotional level. Yeah! That's the thing that it is good at, is, These like... These are our guys now. Making you like the characters. Yeah, like, giving you little guys to play with. John, you literally drew fan art of them, like... I did. <laughs> like, today. <laughs> yeah, I did do that. <laughs> it's so wild like how did that happen like, how, how this happened we were like oh my god do the gas station one this was like and i the, the the massive amount of gas station stories was sort of like oh oops this is like a little daunting and now we're like sitting in the club room with like the volumes by us and stuff 
conflict we've been had. I mean, look, we chose this story to put on the docket on purpose because we were like, okay, well, let's pick one that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're like... Uh, gas and now station. We've attached to it. We've like... gotten fucking Stockholm syndrome by it. <laughs> Jack Townsend has us in a room at gunpoint, but he hasn't actually hurt us yet, so we've become attached to him. Well, it looks like we're going to wrap it up there for tonight. Let us know your thoughts on Tales from the Gas Station. Give us a like and share us with your friends. Next episode, we begin Vox and King Bo, from the introduction to the end of Noise in the Kitchen. This has been the Creepypasta Book Club. Thank you, and good night. <laughs>